0: to the very first episode of the Tell It Like It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cassandra Ray, impact entrepreneur and unabashed truth teller. Across this series, I'll be talking to a number of leading female founders, industry trailblazers, and all around badass women, inviting them to tell it like it really is. From money to power to sex, no topic is off limits. The truth changes everything. Thank you so much for joining. Let's get into it. My first guest describes herself as the internet's leading confidant for panicking job seekers. No pressure there. After eight years working in product design and content strategy for Facebook, she founded Entry Level Boss, an online career education company that specializes in the art of the modern job search. She's also the author of the book, Entry Level Boss, How to Get Any Job You Want, Billed as a fresh take on what color is your parachute for the internet generation, the book has already accumulated a legion of supporters, including New York Times bestselling author, Sarah Knight. As if that weren't enough in her spare time, she's a critically acclaimed jazz vocalist. Please join me in welcoming Alexa Schoen.
1: Gosh, you sure made me sound fancy. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm Good. Uh, I, you know, we're recording this right now. When is it? The end of April. Uh, and it's 2020, a year that we didn't think could outdo itself, but oh boy, it sure has. Uh, and I, you know, I think we're all in a in a funny spot right now with the universe changing so rapidly underneath us. But today I feel good. How about you?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think really similar. I think today's a good day. It's, you take every day as it comes. Um, Some days are better than others. Hopeful that we've seen the worst of it and just getting on the best we can. So happy to be here talking to you. Amen to that. Yes. Amen to that. So I think, you know, along those lines, we should just jump right into the big elephant in the room, which is the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting you know, the workplace, the job search. And um, this is very timely because you have the new book coming out, and entry level boss, how to get any job you want. Um, I know you didn't time the release date to coincide with COVID. Um, but given that it's come out right in this period, is there anything in your approach and the approach you lay out in the book that you think is especially relevant now?
1: Gosh, you know what I'm most grateful about is uh, that it's not the opposite question that's plaguing me, which is, is there anything that really misses the mark because it was meant for a different time? And luckily... Uh, The book that I wrote, even in the before times, as I like to call them, uh, this was never a fluffy manifesto about how to find your passion, which so many books about careers are. And they serve their purpose. And I think that it's important that people go and shoot their shot and do whatever it is that they want. But in a society that's gotten so obsessed with entrepreneurship, with following your dreams and fucking off to Bali and whatever the vast majority of the workforce still has a nine to five job uh, and they just want a nine to five job that they like, that they, you know, feel excited to go to, that they don't feel stressed to go to on a Monday morning and want to, you know, take their vacations and take care of their families. And I think that that is one of the most noble things in the world. And with Entry Level Boss, the book that I always, always, always tried to write was a book for people who were panicking, at trying to figure out how they were going to get a job. And so this was never a book about like, how do you get ahead and like score the most amazing thing ever? You know, yes, I know the, the title, how to get any job you want, um, maybe sells it a little bit that way. But the reason that I invented the entry-level boss nine-step framework for going through the job search. So basically what, what the book is, is a playbook, basically a fitness plan for how to go through the job search in an effective way. The reason I did that is because your rent comes due at the end of the month, whether or not you figured your life out yet. <laughs> and uh, and that is true more than ever. So I think the entire ethos of the book for me, I'm very, very proud that it was written for people who are maybe a little bit scared and a little bit stressed out and maybe are job searching uh, at a time when they didn't expect to. Uh, and and it is definitely a good resource for them. And I'm, I'm very proud of that.
0: You know, it's interesting what you say about um, this Period, we're in where entrepreneurship is, you know, is the holy grail, and everyone says, you know, follow your passion, things like that. Um, And I've always said that, you know, what you do is only half the story, the other half is who you do it with. Mm. And it's really difficult to find information that gives you that insight to know you're making a good choice about who you are going to do your work with. Um, And the people that you work with, you know, how do you advise them to get to that? that detail and that information.
1: So one of my
0: favorite chapters in the
1: book, and one of the ones that was hardest to write actually is, um, uh, well, it's a little bit, the, the title is a little bit of a satire on an old, uh, page that used to be in an American magazine called us weekly. I don't know if you mm-hmm. ever would have read us weekly. It's kind of like hello or okay over here in the United kingdom, trashy celebrity magazine. And they had this page in the book that said, celebrities, they're just like us. And it would be like them growing to the grocery store and whatever. <laughs> and so this chapter chapter in the book is called employers. They're just like us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the thing that I always try to remind Anybody of, you know, before you even try to pick a a good boss or whatever is just to remember that people on the other side of the screen who are staring at your resume or CV are, are also just very, very imperfect humans um, I make so many, uh, bad, but entertaining jokes in my line of work about how dating and the job search are really, really similar.
0: Oh, they're exactly the same. Yeah. They're,
1: they're They're exactly exactly the same, same. (laughs) exactly the same. And they're both really, really shame inducing, right? Because it's like, you have to put yourself out there. Oh my gosh, am I good enough? He hasn't called me back. Uh, And you know, that, uh, frustration so many times comes from the fact that we assume, that there's some like magical, like special employed group of people like floating up above above us that are like, you know, cooler and more perfect and more amazing than we are. But at at the end of the day, even the people who have stupidly senior jobs or, you know, your best boss ever, what, like they all still, you know, what is that old expression? Put their trousers on one leg at a time. Right. Mm. Um, So I think before you get into like, how do you find the perfect person to work with? It's like, remember that everybody's a bit of a dumpster fire human themselves.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I was talking with somebody who was asking my advice on on networking yesterday. And one of the things I was um, saying to this person was, you know, to use your own network, to start having informational chats, um, to find out what roles are there, what roles might be coming up, so you'll be first of mind. And I said, you know, in the 10, 15 minutes you're chatting, if you feel like you've made a good contact always then ask that person if they know other people you can chat to, you know, and that's how you expand your network upon your immediate network. Um, And he said to me, but how do you know if you've made a good contact in just 10 or 15 minutes? And I said, well, when you go on a date with somebody, don't you know if there's, if there's a spark there in the first 10 or 15 minutes, if you want to see that person again, if you think they're going to be receptive to you asking them again, it's really, it's the exact same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it completely is. is. And I think people who Um, struggle the most are the ones who just constantly feel like they're trying to pass a test. And whenever you feel like you're trying to pass a test, right, you don't look at the human as another human on the other side of the screen. And it's really frustrating because it makes us feel like we're not worthy. We're not good enough. You know, this person either liked me or didn't, and they seem to hate me. And, And if you just sort of take all of that away and you talk from this sort of place of you know, respect, of course, and if this person's more senior than you, like, you know, show up on time, all all the things you know to do, but like, for the love of God, like, try to also make them smile, like, they're also just a human who's experiencing a global pandemic, so the least you could do is ask how you're doing this morning.
0: Yeah. How many people would you say you've personally worked with, taking them through your methodology? Wow. Uh,
1: I would say probably uh, close to 2,000 in some capacity since the very, very beginning. Our readership is bigger than that. Uh, But I started the Entry Level Boss newsletter when I was just 25. uh, And I started the newsletter um, basically because I couldn't get a job to save my life. And so uh, the way that uh, my entire company began and, and the reason for For the book and all that is because of this newsletter where I realized how much bad advice I'd gotten when I was graduating from university and, and how much good advice I had, had to learn the hard way. And I really, really wanted other people not to learn it the hard way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of grown from there and yeah, whether that's over Instagram DMs or, People who have actually recognized me on the bus at this point—that's been a funny one a couple times. Uh, one one time after I had had way too many glasses of rosé at brunch, which was particularly hilarious. Uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah, probably about close to 2,000.
0: So in working with those, you know, 2,000 people, and I know a lot of what you recommend to people does in one way or another relate to networking. So I'm just wondering if there are kind of any patterns you've seen that are different in the way that men and women approach networking.
1: Well, I think that uh, to to go back to this concept of like, you know, was there a spark this that whatever, uh, I think men in many situations, I won't say all, of course, I don't want to grossly generalize are indoctrinated into the concept of a boys club and doing each other very transactional favors much, much earlier in life. Right. You're going to help me out with this. I'm going to help you out with that. Like, you know, I'll float you some cash for this and you'll pay it back to me next week. And like, it's just sort of more of a, a system and, um, You know, there's things that, of course, from the outside as women, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. Like, why do men grow up knowing more about how to invest in the stock market? Like, when were they talking to each other that we didn't see? Uh, And so I think that there is a different version of networking that happens among men that, of course, I myself cannot all the way be privy to because if I'm ever networking, even if it's in a group of 10 men, I'm still a, a woman in the room, right? Uh, And so I think that women uh, on the flip side always feel a little bit burdened by asking for a favor in the way that Mm -hmm. maybe men feel slightly less, uh, you know, on a a gross generalization level. And so this idea that you would have to go and put yourself out there, number one, but number two, ask for somebody else's help um when we are you know on the whole the gender that prefers to be the caretakers and and do other people favors and things like that i think that that is is a really tricky piece of the puzzle
0: yeah you know i i came across a, an interview and i'm i don't want to say who i think it is because i can't be 100% sure it was it was the person i think it is but i'm sure somebody will listen to this and google it and tell me tell me who it was but um i think it was one of the founders of one of the kind of recent Uh, recently established women's uh, clubs in the Mm. UK and I think she said you know the greatest myth or something that has been perpetrated on women uh, today or that is still perpetrated on women is that men have been networking formally and informally since the beginning of time and Mm. yet you know we are led to believe now or we've we've assumed that we should be able to do it all on our own Mm. Um, which is you know it's just not possible nobody gets anywhere on their own in life.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And I think, uh, you know, something that I've seen in my own world is, oh gosh, somebody had a really succinct quote for it once that of course I'm not going to be able to remember now, but when men reach out to mentor women, a lot of times they do it from this kind of theoretical, like, uh, arms length away where they're just like, you're doing a great job. And it's all kind of very hypothetical. And in this vacuum of like, you know, the man feeling good about himself because he's mentoring a woman and isn't that great? And the woman's like getting theoretical advice. Whereas many times in male-male mentor dynamics, it's like, God, you're a smart young kid. I could introduce you to my friend, John. You know, John could use somebody like you. Like it's uh, much more interactive and actually relies on the, you know, more senior man, like basically tapping into his own network to start doing favors for this younger person. And it's the difference between, I think it's like mentoring and advocating or something like that. I'm not sure if advocating is exactly the right word, but uh, it is one thing to, you know, give somebody good advice and say, you're doing great, sweetie. And it's another thing to literally push them forward into the spotlight and be like, no, no, we're, we're going with her. Like, this is what's happening. Uh, And that often doesn't happen even in well-intentioned, genuinely well-intentioned male, female mentorship situations.
0: Mm. God, yeah, that's I mean, it's just such a good point. If you could see me on the other line, I'm, you know, my big smile, I'm just shaking <laughs> um, like a million examples. And actually, I mean, that leads me to, I, I remember a story you once told, if you're comfortable sharing it here about when you, um, you know, had a, a great relationship with somebody um, on a professional level, and we're thinking about going to pitch for investment in, in your own company and kind of how they approach you. That is that a a story you're comfortable sharing?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a a great um, example. That's kind of, I think really been quite, I don't know, uh, pressing and poignant in my, my current evolution of my own career because I started as a freelancer and then I was at Facebook for a while. And then, um, you know, ultimately last year decided to incorporate entry-level boss, the business entity, and everything gets a lot more serious once there's business paperwork involved. Uh, but part of that process for me was going out to, to raise a little bit of capital and, uh, to do our first angel round of funding. And for me, I had to overcome personally in my own head, my, all my own self-worth issues, uh, in order to even think about the concept of fundraising, because my immediate thought about fundraising was, I'm cheating. I like, there are so many more people who need money more than I do. It is my fault that I couldn't just raise this revenue with my own bare hands, you know, from a (laughs) pile of nothing. Like, this is I, it is so embarrassing that I have failed and that I need to ask for like the charity of cash to start this business. Oh, and these crazy. are the, yeah, these are the kind of thoughts that are going around right in my head uh-huh. and uh, and so I started having those thoughts probably about probably about this time last year, about May last year, 2019. And through the summer, I kind of slowly was like, hang on, I was like, I'm finishing this book. this book is gonna come out. I was like, I like I need. Like I have one shot to launch a book, you know, and now that moment is is a week and a half from today as we're recording this. I have one shot to launch this book and I could, you know, just work my face off and freelance and I would have a, you know, couple extra hundred bucks a month to spend on Facebook ads and blah. And I was like, no, this thing is important. Like this is always meant to be a business, like it's it's time this is an idea that is worthy of, of giving capital to in the world and all this stuff. But because the only people that I knew really who had raised money were mostly men, or that's not true. I know of course, women who have, but like my, of my close connections and of my own, you know, friends, family, sort of broader, um, community of people I actually know in the world, it was all businessmen and every single one of them. And it must've been I'm talking about dozens of conversations that I had, and I didn't catch on for a long time. I would kind of say, "Hey, I'm thinking about raising some money," and their first thought would always be, "Ooh, that's a big decision. That's a big. Why don't you go slow? (laughs) Like, I mean, just like think about it for a second. Like, you know, like come up with a little bit of a plan. Like, you don't you don't have to jump right into raising capital. Like, why don't you like like see what happens when the book comes out? You know, and then maybe possibly, like, then you've got and. I, and it took me probably two dozen of these conversations all with men um, to realize that there was a pattern which was men wanted to, especially men who knew me personally, wanted to keep me safe and raising money is risky and they you know their immediate instinct was well intentioned which was whoa whoa whoa, like you know we don't want you to kind of burn out it wasn't it wasn't them trying to keep me down. it wasn't anything like that. It was just that their instinct, on a subconscious bias level, was whoa, that's crazy. You know, hold your horses. And it took me, like I said, two dozen conversations to realize that if I, was a man, my thesis, you know, I like, I've got a strong business idea. I've, I you know, thought of a really interesting gap in the market. I'm genuinely passionate about it. I have a strong track record and I've been working on this idea for four years. Yeah. And your proof if, of concept was already there. I mean, you had a my proof of, of, yeah, proof, of. proof of concept already there had had hundreds of people pay for this thing. Uh, just, you know, me into my own pocket as a freelancer while I'm working full-time at Facebook, like, you know, I, I was, uh, very much in, and if I had been a, uh, you know, man, my same age and, and you know, socioeconomic class and all those things, uh, I am guessing that half of those conversations at least would have gone in a different way, which is like, God, you're thinking eight steps ahead. Of course, of course you need to raise capital before the book comes out because we got to make this thing big, right? God, that's genius. Like, you know, as opposed to, whoa, whoa, you know, slow down. Let's not go so fast here. Um, and it was, it was, you know, kind of frustrating for me when I realized that that's what was happening. And also it genuinely, and this is so cheesy, but like, it was a conversation that I had with a female founder who had raised money before who I met at some networking dinner where we were talking about gender disparities and some other Male founder in the room said, well, no, I mean, raising capital is risky for anybody. Of course, they're going to tell you it's risky. And she came straight up to me afterwards and she said, let's have lunch tomorrow. I want to walk you through your pitch and tell you how you can do this. There's no problem. You can raise this money. And when I walked her through everything I had, she was like, you have so many reasons that you should be able to like stand behind this argument. You should be able to raise capital overnight. No problem. But it, it took the first like, woman to like, reach out to me and actually say that. And I, like, I was so grateful to her and also like, "Holy shit, really, this just happened to me. Are you
0: kidding?" Wow. I mean, that's such a powerful illustration. I mean, We know the data. We know one of the reasons that women uh, don't reach the C-suite in, in corporate careers, they don't raise as much money uh, as entrepreneurs, etc. We know that one of the key reasons is lack of access to mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people who have done it before, who can, as you say, you know, guide you and also advocate for you really, you know, as your advocate, not just as your, um, you know, here, let me, let me uh, be a sounding board until you're doing okay. Um, that's just, I mean, it's so incredible that story. But
1: what's interesting about that, and, and where I'll push back on you a little bit, is I have great access to mentors. I'm like a lot of these guys were VCs themselves. I'm talking about CEOs of very famous companies in America. Like I, you know, I have a, a really strong network of dudes that I know who know me personally. Um, and so so it wasn't the mentorship thing, but it's this difference between you know, them wanting to protect me versus them thinking that they could push me forward It go back to this kind of mentorship versus advocacy thing. And I've actually had that happen again to me just this week with a a great mentor. Who's like, you know, Oh, here's all the, like, let me talk to you about your gross profit margin. And then,
0: (laughs) and why does he just write you a check Alexa?
1: Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, he, and he's literally like, yeah, and then you could go out and you could, you know, pass this around to angels. And I'm like, you know, every angel, why wouldn't you just, you know, it, yeah. like, instead of making me start from scratch again and do the deck again. And like, you know, yeah. it's, um, that that's the difference.
0: Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, this famous Madison Albright quote, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, that's, you know, you've just told a great example of a woman who was instrumental and helped you. Most women I know also have the opposite example of that. Yeah. Do you have the opposite
1: example of that? Oh yeah, I, I do. Um, and, and I think also I will preface this all by saying that I think I absolutely have also been guilty of it. I have, um, always sort of grown up in industries that are pretty male dominated, starting with, you know, being a a jazz singer, as you mentioned in my introduction, and you usually as the singer are the only woman and then there's 17, you know, dorky band dudes behind you. Um, did a master's in jazz performance. I think there were 10 women in the entire college or something of, you know, a thousand students. Uh, and then working in tech where it's all dude engineers and then, you know, me shouting at them. Uh, and so a lot of times I would find if there was another re- woman who kind of came into that ecosystem, instead, instead of being, being relieved, relieved, being like, oh, phew, the gender balance is coming back up, my first instinct would be to side with the men and like kind of. It was like I was already in, you know, and like you know, don't try to mess up our dynamic because then they're going to try to group me with you, and then I'm going to get pushed out. I think is where yeah. my own internalized misogyny comes from. Um, but yeah, I I had a situation early on in my career. Ugh, the story is too long and drawn out, but mostly what it was was I was 23, 24 years old. It didn't occur to me that I would be seen as a threat to anybody ever really I've never had that kind of ego I always just earnestly genuinely want to help and good at making friends in an office like i am truly passionate about trying to help the company do better that has always been something that has you know been I think the biggest blessing in my life And come to bite me in the ass several times and so this was one of my first real jobs ever and I had got brought in by the VP of the department who you know again this is a tiny company we're talking about the entire department is 11 people um i'd been brought in by the vp who was a man who was about 10 years my senior and he and i just always got along we'd gone to the same college you know we didn't know each other then but like i just understood him he got me and there were two middle management women who were about his age who were in between us and i can look back now and realize number one, that I blew past where both of them were in their careers, you know, by the time I was 26 and they were in their mid thirties at the time. So like, I could see now how that would have been a a threat. And also I was a contractor not being paid full-time salary and health benefits. And so I'm sure they were doing the math in their head of like, wow, like they're paying this, you know, kid tiny amounts of money and she's got no (laughs) safety net. And like, she's doing a better job being engaged with this company than we are. And I think also they just felt threatened by the fact that they couldn't connect with this older man, you know, who was their age group peer really as, as well as I could. And ultimately I got forced out of the company. And I also, you know, I, I take fault for a few different things in that situation, but what I don't take fault for was these two women, you know, really, really, because they were so threatened by me, I can see now Really genuinely couldn't find it in their heart to sort of have any empathy for the fact that I was like a fresh out of college. You know, this was my first job. I genuinely wanted to do well. And their immediate thought seemed to be, she's coming for us rather than, whoa, we could, you know, help her kind of figure out some nuances that she's maybe not seeing because she's just too
0: green. Mm. You know, it's funny, beyond just the kind of the misogyny, as you say, that, that we might have on an unbiased or on a, you know, unconscious level, um, just being products of society. I, I also feel like, and I, obviously there are exceptions just speaking in generalities here, but I feel like I am guilty of, and I know several other women who are guilty of holding women to higher standards than we might hold men, particularly younger women, um, you know, not cutting the slack. And I don't know, I don't know where that comes from. Um, I don't know if it's just, you know, something I've seen in my very unscientific sample group, um, or if that's something that's more prevalent, but it feels like I hear stories like this a lot.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree for, agree with you definitely. And I think, um, You know, it's a really obvious thing to see in uh, the way we talk about celebrity women. Definitely. Mm. Uh, I read this great piece once about uh, like Lena Dunham and and Hillary Clinton, basically, not that they were hanging out or anything, but kind of two white women in the public sphere and how both of them were just getting like uh, pummeled right and left, right and left for like, well, why aren't you doing enough for uh, gay people. Why aren't you doing enough for transgender rights? Why aren't you, you know, you are so privileged. This is ridiculous that you wouldn't speak to socioeconomic class differences in this way. Like, blah, blah, blah. and, you know, white women, like we, we have our own bullshit and we, uh, you know, benefit a lot from being the super close power partner of white men and, and all of that. But, uh, women in the public eye or women really anywhere, we always have to be representative of not only our entire gender, but, like, everything else that we can't think of, too. And, yeah. like, when, when was a white man ever held? Or, or, you know, men, of like, men in general, when did they ever have to really, like, Say hey, you know I'm speaking on behalf of every. I just want to make sure that everybody's bases are covered here. Yeah. Whereas if women try to do one thing correctly, it's like, well, why couldn't you speak accurately on ten topics? Like, right. what the hell is wrong
0: with right? Me? Why can't you fix every problem? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, is there anything you do now, um, you know, with the specific intention to help other women?
1: Oh, I mean, I think that my chosen line of work, uh, you know, really is is where I help other women the most right now. Um, the vast majority of the entry-level boss reader base naturally probably about 75% is women, even though we never, ever, ever a single time have uh, gendered any of our marketing or anything like that, but people are just naturally drawn to us. We get a lot of women of color. We get a lot of uh, first-generation college graduates or, or people who have immigrated to new countries, um, a lot of queer people as well, but particularly with young women, I think they see in me and in the entry-level boss curriculum the permission to try to go in it, even articulate what it is that they want and then be brave enough to ask for it, which can sound so cheesy when I kind of simplify it like that. And, and if anyone ever reads my book, you'll see that I I kind of say it in hopefully what I think is a very lighthearted and, and warm and very specific way. Actually, like, no, literally, here's how you send an email. Um, but I think that, uh, that being able to just constantly reach out again and again and again to, uh, you know, these new versions of myself, I guess, out in the future, right? It's very much a situation of, like, be the person who you wish was around when when you were younger. And the dedication of my book uh, is to my 24-year-old self. And I say, you know, to 24-year-old Alexa, I think it says something like, um, who was so utterly convinced that her career was already a lost cause. Look at us, honey. Look at what we did. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is what I am able to do through entry-level boss is to pay it forward and try to just, you know, reach down to the next woman and say, hey, like, you're going to be okay. Just like climb up a little bit farther and and it's going to be safer a little bit higher up the mountain.
0: Yeah. God, that's such an, I mean, I think all of us at 21 or however old we were when we were just entering the job market and, you know, really just knew absolutely nothing, but we're so completely convinced that, you know, the next step was going to be the final step and everything mattered so, so much. I mean, just that perspective is really would have been very, very helpful at that time, at least to me. I hope so. That's, that's what I'm aiming for. (laughs) One of the other things I remember about being in my, um, particularly in my, I would say mid twenties when I started to, you know, get on a little higher up on that mountain, as you've just put it, Um, and was always kind of interested in in issues around women in the workplace and promoting women in business, etc. And I felt a little bit frustrated at that time because I felt like a good 80 to 90% of the conversation we would be having, particularly about women in business and women in the professions, you know, accounting and law and everything, would be about motherhood. And I remember being, you know, 28, um, single and thinking I may never have kids. I may never want kids. I might want to do other things with my life that are just as valid as that, but never get to take time off because it's not, you know, socially sanctioned and, you know, all of those things. Um, my, my ideas have evolved around that a little bit now, you know, being a mother, but, but I remember that, uh, you know, very, very well. And I still feel that oftentimes the the balance tips, um, towards motherhood when that doesn't apply to every woman. So, you know, with the women that you see and particularly in tech, which I know is an industry that's close to your heart, what issues do you think women face that have nothing to do with motherhood?
1: Oh man. um, I, I mean, first of all, I completely agree with you and I, uh, have walked out of more than one, uh, women in tech presentation that, you know, then recenters on like, but how do you possibly, you know, deal with being a engineer and a mother at the same time and a woman in tech? Um, I, I mean, I think an issue that applies to all women, and this goes back a little bit to. Uh, what we were just talking about, how women have to like, you know, represent their entire gender in any situation at any given time is just the conversation around being a woman in the work world, in whatever profession that you're in this really dangerous trap that I've seen happen uh, in tech, but I think we see it happen in, in all kinds of industries is that as soon as you get inside, you get the job, all of a sudden you're the diversity person and now you need to do your job already better than the men do in order to be paid, you know, 75% of the money. Uh, and you also need to find an extra, you know, hour in the day to put your makeup on and all that because society, but then also you now have to find this magic other six hours in the week because the HR people keep calling you to go and speak for free on a panel about being a woman in finance and they keep calling you to go and like make sure that you're the extra like woman in the room, uh, for, you know, whatever advocacy luncheon they're having in order to recruit new people. Mm. And so I I think think that, uh, you know, I used to, when I was younger, be really, really passionate about like the woman in tech community. And isn't this so great. And now I'm like, can I just be a fucking person who does my fucking job? Mm. Like, you know, can I go out and please not give a talk about what it is like to be a woman, you know, and this I'll go just back to my tech career, a woman who works in product, you know, but like, can I just tell you about like, why it's so fucking important that I built this API? Like, that's what I want to talk to you about is like, cause that's what all the men are speaking about. And that's why they all of a sudden become uh, credible experts in their field is because they've been out there talking about their work rather than what it's like to be a woman in work.
0: Yes. Yeah, you know, it's I have this conversation a lot where I feel like I have to defend in certain professional situations my very strong belief that we need um, communities of professional women who support one another, back to our previous conversation. But in those communities, we need to do more than just talk about what it's like to be a professional woman right? Yeah. I mean, you know, they're two completely different things. And it seems like there's in so many instances, there's just that blurred line. Well, yeah, you get women together to talk about what it's like to be a woman. And, you know, that's fine. Sometimes there's a place for that. But as you've rightly said, that's not how you advance your career in, in you know, the largest, you know, in most domains, right? You have to yeah. talk about the work you're doing. You have to talk about the, the, um, the value that you bring. And for me, the advantage of getting you know, being a part of these uh, networks of women is oftentimes to advance ideas in a safe space. You know, Th- that's really the, the, um, the advantage to me not to talk about what, you know, how I'm going to juggle being a mom and, you know, breastfeeding, and what have you, but is to think about these, these is the business idea. What do you think about it? Um, you know, in a place that's not going to judge me or, or with people who aren't going to judge me and they're going to help me get to that next plateau.
1: Yeah. 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 And I, I, I think, think that absolutely is true. For example, of, Uh, you know, what I said earlier about my fundraising situation and, you know, there are kind of three women in particular who, you know, had raised money before and immediately were like, yeah, you can do this, no problem. And it wasn't about like, as a woman, you could, you know, or here's how my experience was of fundraising. It was more like, no, literally here's what I would put in your pitch deck. Like, I think this is the story that you need to sell people. Like, this is the thing that they're going to want to hear. Like, watch out for this question. Um, as opposed to all the men who were mentoring kind from farther away with their kind of like, Ooh, that sounds a bit scary,
0: sweetie. Mm.
1: Uh, uh, you know, tactics.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go work out the, uh, the profit model for me again for the 15th. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I'd like to end on a few, quick ish fire questions. They they can go quick or slow. Um, but I like to call this, the tell it like it is round or standing on the shoulder of giants. So we've already touched on, on some of them, but I just feel like in the kind of, you know, over Instagrammed, super filtered world we live in, where we have to present ourselves as perfect and everything we do has to have always been a success. There's a, you know, a space where we need to answer questions that we don't usually share in public. So that's the preamble. Um, so let's jump in. I'm ready. I'm excited. (laughs) What's one lesson you learned the hard way as a very passionate
1: person in my own career. I always remember much too late that other people are doing just enough to make sure that they keep their job and they will see my enthusiasm as a threat.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. That is so true. Yeah. The sad, sad, sad truth is that in a lot of corporate environments, the key to your success is mediocrity.
1: (laughs) Whew. yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and I'm doing all that I can to uh, change that culture, you know, from the inside out, uh, molding the young minds of of new employees. And, And it has nothing to do with overworking. I think that it's just about taking a genuine interest in what you do, and, and that being the priority rather than how do I just keep this job, you know, and manage all the bullshit around it. But yeah, I always, always in my own personal life remembered it a little bit too late, even after I had learned the lesson.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think it's also just a function of your personality and I do appreciate that, you know, with experience and, you know, privilege. You have the ability to kind of make different choices, but um, I, you know, I'm just simply not a person who can engage with something and not care, you know, I just can't. And so it took me a while to realize I'm going to have to be very, very deliberate about where I choose to work, who I choose to work with, because if I can't care a hundred percent it's, I'm not going to go very far in this place. Cause I'll completely turn off. I'm kind of on or off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, when you're just starting out and you need a job and you need to get the experience, I appreciate you don't always uh, have the ability to say, I'm going to walk away from this opportunity, but I have definitely, as I've grown in my career, walked away from a few opportunities. Okay. So next one, next one. What's an opinion you once held strongly that you've since changed your mind about?
1: Oh man, this is a tricky one. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that feminism doesn't apply to me. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is I have always had this advantage in my own life of having a really boisterous, charismatic personality. And I, I it's not, you know, I'm not manipulating people with my charm. It's just, I, I just kind of am the person that I am and people seem to be, uh, drawn into that. And, uh, that has helped me in ways that maybe feminism in the magazines, like, don't be afraid to speak up at work. And I'm like, everyone else can't get a word in cause I'm talking all the time. <laughs> um, uh, you know, feminism in the magazines or whatever, didn't really apply to me. And I think as I get older actually, and frankly, as I continue to become more senior and still, single and now all of a sudden there's this weird shift and it happened to me at about age 28 as you describe of like uh all of a sudden there's less women around and all all of a sudden uh you know friends of mine who did better than me in school like they don't they don't work anymore because they got kids and they you know married into money and like and it's this interesting sort of uh trajectory that i I currently find myself on, who knows what happens next year uh but regardless um you know feminism does apply to me, and I used to think that it was kind of something that was for for quieter girls
0: Can you think of what happened that that made you change your mind? I mean, did people talk to you about it? Was it just you know
1: no i th- I think just time just time and actually experiencing situations um you know, in whatever various different facets, Uh, not some one singular traumatic event. But like I said, just this kind of weird sort of time shift where at the beginning, you know, when you're 22 and you kind of feel like a prepubescent kid in the workplace, right? And there's loads of other kids around. And some of them are men, some of them are women, and some of them are non-binary and whatever. Mm -hmm. But then like as you grow up and all of a sudden you are a woman and, you know, you are in a whole bunch of boardrooms, or whatever with men who, uh, like, you know, in my situation, a lot of men that I deal with are 10 to 20 years older than me and, you know, all married and maybe even have kids my age or what, you know, and so, I, uh, it, it becomes a different dynamic, I think over time. So for me, it's just been time.
0: What's your worst experience of mansplaining that you've ever encountered? Uh, can I tell you the one that I want to happen to me? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, you have, like, so, the perfect answer for it. You're yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. There, there's one that I want to happen. I've seen this happen on Twitter. I love Twitter. Uh, and on Twitter, this happens. It's like a, a notorious situation now where, uh, a woman who has, you know, a decent following or whatever, tweets out an opinion and a man immediately responds and says, well, actually I read in the New Yorker this morning, blah, blah. blah and that's why that's not true. And then the woman gets to reply back and say, yeah, I know I wrote that article. (laughs) I I, I want
0: that to happen to me. I'm ready. (laughs) I think that will probably happen (laughs) to you at some point. You write enough, you get published enough. I think that's definitely going to happen at some point. Fingers crossed. Have you ever had a Me Too moment?
1: Yes. And my immediate instinct is, but not as bad as other people. Mm. Um, But yeah, even uh, just like a little baby one the other day, I was, you know, one of three women in a room of 200 dudes and it was a fundraising event. And I was one of the only, you know, female, female founders in the room, of course. Uh, and this guy walks over right away and he's just like, that was great. He goes, well, love to see you little ladies getting out there and you looked so cute on stage. And I'm just like, Oh, gross. And I was like, huh? (laughs) 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 it, It was like, it was, it was so, you know, like not, not serious, but like so hilariously flagrant that I just almost had to
0: laugh. I was like, it's so funny <laughs> like, and not, but whatever. Yeah. Funny and not. I think that's exactly yeah. the way to describe that. So you're 31 now. Is that right, Alexa?
1: Yes, I am at time of publication. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you could go back in time and tell your 21 year old self, anything, what would it be? It's going to be your instinct to keep
1: waiting for somebody to give you permission to start and you are the only person who can give yourself permission to start
0: suppose you and I are having this conversation a conversation just like this 10 years from now what do you think your 41 year old self will say they would like to go back and tell your 31 year old self
1: breathe and keep going but mostly remember to breathe god we all need that right now
0: Okay. Last one. Last one, Alexa. All right. I'm ready. The big finale, the big finale. What are you really fucking good at?
1: I'm really, really, really fucking good at several things to be honest, but, uh, but actually I'm, I'm really, I'm <laughs> really fucking good at several things, but I'm really, really good at making, scrambled eggs like i'm really like i make a mean (laughs) breakfast burrito and i i make it with amazing scrambled eggs and like and i I can do it in a variety of different ways it's really just you know whatever suits my personal taste on the day but it is a skill that has come in handy to me as a californian native who's lived in europe where you cannot get good mexican food to save your life so that i am really fucking good at that
0: (laughs) Well, maybe when uh, when this you know this period is all over and we can see other humans again, we can see each other, and I can bring the champagne and you can bring the egg. That sounds like a date. Count me in. Sign me up. Amazing. So, Alexa, if people want to learn more, where can they find you?
1: Absolutely, Instagram is where I hang out all the time. Come find me at Alexa You can also find me uh, on the Entry Level Boss Instagram or at EntryLevelBoss.com. And you can also find all the links to buy my new book, Entry Level Boss, uh, at that same
0: website. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really great to chat.
1: Thank you so much. Talk to you
0: soon. I hope you enjoyed chatting with Alexa as much as I did. If you want to hear more women tell it like it is, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast fix. And P.S. There are two more episodes ready and waiting for you right now. You should also check out the show notes for more info on Entry-Level Boss and to sign up for our mailing list so you never miss an update. If you've got a story and you want to tell it like it is, I'd love to hear from you. Do get in touch with me over at Soapbox.org.